Welcome to the Dr. Berg's Healthy Keto and Intermittent Fasting Podcast, where Dr. Berg takes you on the journey for the truth about getting healthy and losing healthy weight. There's a very shocking fact about your food that you need to know about. I want to cover some real basic definitions first, and then I'm going to dive right in. If you look at the back of any label of any food that you eat, there's something called nutrition facts, okay? Which is fascinating because these are not facts at all. They're just, they're guesses, basically. They should call them nutrition guesses, okay? And before I get into that part, let me just first start here. You probably remember these things called RDAs, recommended dietary allowance. It means how much of a certain nutrient you need based on your age, if you're male or female, if you're pregnant or lactating, okay? And then you have something called AI, adequate intake. That is how much of a certain nutrient you need to prevent an obvious deficiency, okay? Obvious. So that would be like how much you would need to prevent scurvy, like vitamin C or beriberi, vitamin B1, or rickets where you have vitamin D. But what the FDA did is they simplified it. They came up with something called recommended daily intake, RDIs, okay? And that relates to an estimation of nutrient needs based on a 2000 calorie uh, diet per day, regardless of age, male or female, pregnancy, lactating. So in other words, they did not um, have these variables included. They wanted to simplify it, okay? And then you have this thing right here, which you probably will read on the back of your labels more than anything else. It's percent of DV, daily value. Now, what does that mean? Well, that gives you a percent of a given nutrient as it relates to the RDIs, okay? So if you look in the back of the label, you'll see percent DV and all these different percentages, like 5%, 10%, 30%. And the ones I really wanna focus on are the ones that relate to like vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C, et cetera. So for example, like one serving of, of something will give you like 30% of your vitamin A needs, okay? So that's really what that's all about. The big problem with that is this, it's just a guess. Number one, they don't factor in your age. Young people need different amounts than adults versus old people. Women need different amounts than men. Men need more zinc. Women need more iron. Also, women that are pregnant or lactating need a little bit more of certain nutrients. So that's not factored into that. And so these numbers are definitely not related to facts. Facts are based on evidence, okay? They're just not precise. What about the activity level of the person, right? Let's say someone's an athlete versus sedentary. You think there's a variation of nutrients with that? Or what about their ability to digest the food? Let's say they have no gallbladder. Let's say they're older and don't have enough hydrochloric acid. Let's say, for example, they have inflammation in their gut. They're not gonna be able to absorb hardly any nutrients. Or let's say that the food that they're eating is a grain with phytic acid which blocks zinc. So that's another huge factor because if you eat that food, it's not going to be absorbed. And then we have cofactors like vitamin D and calcium, right? You need vitamin D to help you absorb calcium. 
And then we have the source of the vitamin. Is that vitamin coming because it's been enriched with some synthetic vitamin or is it naturally in the food as a whole food vitamin complex or even is it a natural vitamin? And then we have hormones. Let's say the person has insulin resistance. They're not going to absorb very much of any nutrient. And if they have inflammation in the liver or another part of the body, that is also going to inhibit their absorption. The more stress they have, the more they're going to have vitamin deficiencies and a greater need for certain nutrients, especially the B vitamins. The less sleep they have, the greater the need for nutrients. If they're a diabetic, there's, it's a whole different picture of what kind of nutrients you're going to need, as well as the absorption. If you're a smoker, for example, the requirement for vitamin C is going to be way, way higher because smoking completely oxidizes vitamin C. And then you have if the person's diet is filled with sugar and junk food, which is going to deplete those nutrients as fast as it goes in. And lastly, we have the bioavailability. Let's say that iron they're talking about comes from spinach and not from red meat. Huge difference in that nutrient being available to the body or not. So the shocking fact about your food is that those facts are not facts. They're actually guesses. Don't worry, it gets worse. There's some other problems. The source of information, okay, by the FDA, for example. Did you realize that in one study that I just read, and I'll put that link down below, 15 out of 26 FDA employees who left the FDA now work or consult to big pharma and the food industry. You think that could possibly affect, uh, I don't know, the nutritional recommendations or the governing panels, which could have uh, some biases or some vested interest. See, the problem with the medical profession is there's no training in nutrition. So you have to learn it after you graduate. But to put medical boards and governmental agencies like the FDA over your health and food is not a good idea. Even the majority of nutritional studies is industry funded. Okay? And I'm not talking about drug studies. I'm talking about nutritional studies. All right, that's another problem. And then you also have the amounts that they're talking about are, are only related to preventing a deficiency, not creating optimal health. To create health, you need sufficient nutrients. You don't need just the bare amounts. And what we're really trying to do is we're trying to create health, okay? We're not just trying to prevent scurvy. And then one last problem is that some of the recommendations are actually too high, like calcium, for example. I mean, when I see what's recommended for calcium, if you're going to take that every day, your body's going to calcify. I mean, there's studies that show that even when women, postmenopausal women, take the recommended amount of calcium, their risk for heart attack goes up. And so calcium is not something that is easily excreted to the body. And then you have iron in men. Men have an almost impossible time getting rid of too much iron. Too much iron can be very toxic to men and women who are postmenopausal. okay? Those are some of the problems. There's a brilliant uh, professor in biochemistry that I would like to mention, Dr. Bruce Ames. He came up with the uh, triage theory, okay? And that has to do with the body will ration nutrients to short-term survival actions, not long-term health or longevity or preventing cancer. So if the body does not have enough of a certain nutrient, it's going to allocate that to functions that will help on an immediate basis. Like let's take, for example, vitamin K1 that helps with bleeding, okay? 
So if the body only has a certain amount of K1, it's going to clot the area and stop bleeding, but it's not going to be allocated to certain things that might be involved with longevity or your DNA, uh, things like that. But in one of his papers, he talked about a very, very interesting story. Uh, I'm not going to get into it, but all I'm going to tell you is this. Um, a folic acid deficiency, okay, a folic acid deficiency will create the same damage as radiation, okay, to your DNA, your chromosomes. So radiation breaks up your chromosomes. Well, guess what? A folic acid deficiency will also break up your chromosomes. And a lot of other nutrients are involved in DNA synthesis, DNA repair. So it's pretty obvious that we don't put enough attention on these nutritional deficiencies. And because they're missing, okay, they're omitted, we don't have attention on it, right? We only, we don't see something that's missing. Why? Because it's, it's missing. We don't look at it, right? So if you were ex exposed to like a nuclear power plant that had a meltdown, that would be obvious. But how would you really know if you're deficient in folic acid, right? You really wouldn't. So getting enough nutrients is very important. I do have a solution for you. All right, here's the solution. Eat food that's nutrient dense. Next question is, is, is it going to be plant-based? Is it going to be animal-based? Well, guess what? You have a lot of different sources of vitamin C, uh, B vitamins, vitamin D, vitamin E, that are in both animal and plant, okay? Now, typically, you're going to get more, a more complete profile if you consume more animal uh, sources of food. But there are a lot of other nutrition that you can get from plant. I recommend you combine both of these. If you're a vegan, it's going to be more difficult to get B12, zinc, iron, omega-3 fatty acids. You can do it. It's just more difficult. Plus, the amino acids that you would get in plant food are not nearly as bioavailable, and it's more difficult. It's possible, but it's more difficult. But just to cover all bases, I recommend you combine both of these right here. Now, number three, the taste of your food will tell you if it's nutrient dense. The smell of your food will tell you if it's nutrient dense. I mean, you've done this. You, you eat a tomato at the store. There's absolutely positively no taste to that tomato at all. Um, also like a carrot, right? I've eaten carrots. So like there's just nothing or bell peppers. There's no taste. Okay. I can take a tomato. I can smell it to know if it's nutrient dense. Okay. A tomato that is grown in your garden. Wow. It smells completely different. It tastes completely different. Why? Because the, the flavor chemicals are connected to the nutrients. The more nutrients, the better it's going to taste, the better it's going to smell. Now, how do we know if something is nutrient dense? I'm going to show you this test. It's called the BRICS test, okay? I don't know if you've ever seen one of these, but this is a BRICS test. It's fairly inexpensive, and I'm going to explain how it works. You could use this in your garden. You can use this in the grocery store. Well, you probably, if you're going to go to the grocery store, you're going to have to buy the, uh, the leaf or the stem or the plant or the fruit before you test it because you have to crush it in like garlic press right here, right? Or some other crushing device. This is called a refractometer, which basically refracts light. It, it, it changes the angle of light. There's a prism here. 
you just take a drop of a crushed uh, leaf from your salad or a tomato or a berry and you put it right on this little lens right here. You put this on top and you look into the light and you will see a scale, okay? And this scale tells you how concentrate the, the sugars are, the proteins, the minerals, the nutrients. So roughly on the BRICS test, if something is above 12, now this is a generality because some things need to be higher, some, some things would be a little bit lower, but generally if it's above 12, that food is gonna to contribute to your health, okay? If it's really low, let's say it's a three or a two, it's not gonna to contribute to your health. So a lot of people are eating very low quality food thinking that they're getting something from it, but they're really not. What's also very interesting about this BRICS test is that if something is over 12, that plant is immune from insects, okay? If it's below 12, let's say it's uh, three or four, it's like a magnet for insects. Insects eat dead and decaying plants, okay, and fruit. They'll go in there and they'll start eating that. But they don't consume healthy, nutrient-dense fruits, vegetables, and plants. Also, if something is above 12, it has a higher shelf life and it does not experience as much frost damage. So the BRICS test is a relatively inexpensive test to kind of give you a good idea if something is nutrient dense or not. And I will put a link down below of, of how to use it. But here's the next and most important question. How do you get food that is above 12 on the BRICS test? Healthy animals come from healthy plants. Healthy plants come from healthy soils, okay? It's the soil. That's where our health starts. The difference between soil and dirt is that dirt has no microbial life. Soil has a lot of microbial life. And you can't just grow your vegetables on dirt. It has to be fertile soil. It has to have a lot of life to grow that in there, right? And also when I'm talking about life, I'm talking not just about bacterial life. I'm talking about fungi or fungus, right? So in our soils, we need ideally a one-to-one -one ratio of fungus to bacteria to get optimal fertility of that soil to grow something. If something's really high in bacteria and very low in fungus, like no fungus, then you're just going to get weeds. You just can't grow uh, crops that you can eat. Now, the big problem is if you want to grow uh, food in your backyard, or if you have a farm, okay, you have to do soil samples, right? And you have to send them out. And I've done that. And soil samples are not cheap. You have to send it to the lab. Sometimes it takes like, I don't know, almost two weeks or longer and it's expensive. I remember I sent something out and it was like 600 bucks, right? Very expensive. I found a really amazing test that you can do at home on your garden or on your farm and it's called the microbiometer, okay? This is a very inexpensive testing kit that can measure two very important things. It measures the quantity of microbes in your soil, like the concentration of microbes, how much life it has. And so it needs to be like over, you know, four, 500, 600. It can't be like 200 or 100, or all you're gonna be able to grow is weeds. 
And the other thing that it will test is your ratio between your fungi to bacterial ratio. And you really want this to be one to one. So this gives you incredible feedback within 10 minutes at a very inexpensive cost. I think like one test costs, I think $11.50. I mean, compared to hundreds of dollars for one test. And this has a capacity for doing 10 different tests. You can test your soil, see where you're at. You can give it certain things like amendments, like minerals or microbes, whatever. And then you can retest it to see over time how fertile it is. And so I did a lot of research to try to find a home test that I could do that will give me this data. And there's nothing out there that compares to this. I mean, it's very, very creative how they came up with this test. And it's uh, very credible. And a lot of farms use it. If you have a garden or a farm, or you just want to test your grass in the backyard, and I think you'd be very interested to in what you find. But it's important to get a baseline and to measure things over time. This right here, nutrient-dense foods, really comes from the soil. And so this is why I always emphasize going to the farmer's market, grow your own food if possible, definitely do grass-fed, wild-caught, or organic as much as possible. So I have a special guest. I was able to get the uh, president of this organization uh, just to ask her some quick questions. It's Laura Decker, as well as their, Marissa, their soil scientist. So I'm excited just to kind of dive in and get some additional questions uh, related to this uh, microbiometer, which first of all, I just want to say um, a person's health is dependent on the plants and animals they eat. And then the plants and animals are dependent on the, the soil, the health of the soil. And the, the difference between soil and dirt is that soil is alive and the more life it has, the better. And so, as I told you before, Laura, um, you know, it was very expensive to send my soil samples in, but uh, I, I stumbled on your company that you're able to, we can do this right on site and it's a quick test. It's like 10 minutes and you can find out great information. So if I could just pick your brain on a couple questions. Um, so there's two main things that this uh, test can evaluate. One is the the amount of the number of microbes that we're dealing with, right? Um, mm -hmm. So as far as um, your experience working with other people around the world with this, this uh, great tool, um, are you finding some interesting things related to, um, does it correlate with the number of microbes and people saying, well, yeah, my crops were getting insects and I'm getting, having problems with this or the fertility of the land and the things that they grow on them? Uh, well, the first thing I'll say is we are used around the world. We're in over 20 countries and soil varies tremendously, of course, within the United States, but also around the world. And soil is different because it's made up of different things, but also because we've done different things to it, right? So if you go to Iowa, right, you're not going to find virgin Iowa soil in agriculture. You're going to find incredibly processed soil. Um, if you go to other countries, you'll, you'll see. So to sort of say what's normal soil is, is very unusual. And soil, like you said, is, is, is obviously it's got a mineral and a, and a you know, component, but it also is living. It has microbes, it has worms, it has air, it has all kinds of things in it. Um, and so what we found is most people who use the kit understand that microbes vary throughout the cycle and the year. They're impacted by how we treat the land what we do to the land, right? We know that extensive tilling sort of destroys your fungal content, which builds soil structure, which makes your soil 
ironically, more compact, which means you have to till it again, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you're either in a virtuous cycle or a vicious cycle. Um, and so what we have found is people use the test the most to evaluate their change in practice, right? So they're going to biostimulants. They're using either oxygenated water or they're using maybe an algae component. So a lot of the times the things that we see make the most difference in microbial content are things that feed the microbes, right? So there's microbes everywhere, right? You don't necessarily have to put them into the soil because they're all over, right? As COVID taught us, germs are everywhere, but they're bacteria, it's fine. But if they're not growing in the soil, it's because they're not being fed, right? We've done things to the soil to make it have very low organic matter. Um, to be very compact, right? To not have air, to, to be so compact that water runs out. So it's either too wet or too dry. So when people do things to feed the microbes, right? The microbes will flourish. You can't just throw live microbes on soil that can't sustain life. It doesn't work. Um, so that's how we find that people use the test the most to say, okay, I know I need to change it. There's no formula, right? The formulaic method of agriculture, which is throw down NPK, you know, is not working. And there is no one way to fix the soil around the world. It's very, very particular. And it's an art and a science. Um, And we developed the test to be used on fresh soil because you're testing living things, right? You send it to the lab, they dry it and freeze it. Who knows what happens to the microbes? Um, And we also test dormant microbes. So you do know that when, when microbes die, they'll either die and sort of fall apart or they'll um, spore, you know, be dormant. Um, and then they reproduce every 15 minutes, right? So it doesn't take much if you feed them and get the right conditions. Um, as Dr. Fitzpatrick used to say, they're, they're, they, they have a lot of sex. They, they reproduce tremendously. Um, so if you get the conditions right, you can do it. And people use the microbiometer to say, okay, I did this treatment. What was the change? Not do I have a good number in my done, but what is the change through, through my practice that I can see often um, and quickly. So there's a very long answer, but. Hey, well, uh, you know, if there's a, you, you sent me a really good simple chart and it's on your website now I found that you can just kind of gives you a reference of what, what is good, bad and terrible. Yeah. So you can kind of start with something and you can progress. But um, I, yeah. in different parts of my, my uh, property because I'm living on a farm right now, I, I mean, <laughs> you, you test the soil where I have all the weeds that no grass grows. I mean, it's like, it's as heavy on bacteria. So that brings up the next question. We have this ratio of fungi to bacteria. Um, Just tell us a little bit, is that how important is that if we're trying to grow something in our garden? Yeah. So the, what we know, and, 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 and there is material out there that's way better what I'm, what I'm going to say, but we know is that, uh, that in all soil, there's, there's, fungi and bacteria, they don't necessarily compete with each other all the time. But we do know that fungi um, are important for building soil structure. So they are the ones who make make it possible for the soil to be aerated, to hold on to water, right? And for roots to to grow more um, easily throughout the soil. We also know that if you're growing food, that fungal that fungi do a lot of immune work for the plant. And that immune response that the fungi helps the plant um, is what sort of brings 
the antioxidants into the plant, right? That we then want to eat because it helps us in our immune system. So um, people want a lot of fungal content because it helps build soil structure, which is a virtuous cycle. Um, it improves the taste and the quality of plants as well. Um, and it gives things um, into like different tastes. So a lot of, that's why a lot of organic food will taste better because it has higher fungal content. Now, you can also throw down a lot of uh, mycorrhizal fungi. You can inoculate the soil with fungi. But again, if your soil cannot support those, they won't, they won't cultivate. So a lot of people in agriculture want a one-to-one -one ratio um, or better. You know, when I, I had, I took like seven different sam samples the other day and I have it recorded, like it's quite, I mean, one part of your yard is one thing. It can go all the way to this side. And uh, also I tested something in, in the woods. It was just, it was interesting. It was a great experiment to do that. I'm going to be doing this, my own experiment to see if I can get this good ratio of one-to-one -one yeah. because um, I was really heavy on the bacteria. So, and hardly yeah. any fungus. So so you're trying to grow crops or vegetables. Um, it's just yeah. not easy and, and you can, but they're not gonna taste like anything because- Yeah, they... and it's interesting that you're using the forest because in a forest, there's so much differentiation, even in a small area between fungal and bacteria because different things are growing naturally. So um, people test it for forest, but you'll find a, a big variation right by a tree, you know, in an area where sun hits. Um, but it is really fun to see the difference in what agricultural soil biological life looks like and what um, forests look like as well. Well, I'm just glad you guys came up with this uh, very creative, ingenious uh, test to be able to just uh, quickly test something without having to send it to the lab. Because, I mean, it took me, I think, two weeks to get my lab report back. I mean, first of all, in the mail, by the time it gets there, I don't know how many microbes are going to be left alive. So um, for those of my viewers that uh, have gardens or farms or just you'd like to test your grass in the back of your yard, um, Laura was so kind to give us a coupon code uh, with 15% off. So if you want to get the kit, it's already very inexpensive. And I think one kit will do 10 tests. So um, I'm going to put the coupon code down below with the link. So if you guys would like to get one, you can get one and check it out and do your own experiments. But it, you can't really um, improve soil if you really don't have a, a reference of where you're at. Um, so this gives you an inexpensive way to test it. So um, I happened to just be looking for something like this and then you, you guys popped up and I, I was like looking for quite some time to find out how I can check, uh, you know, the soil, but all, you know, the only thing you can find out there is like pH testers, you know, you can check some, the currency or the current in the soil. And maybe there's some, like you can check NPK, you know, but microbial life. I don't think there's anyone out there that's, that has a test that you can actually just bring right to your backyard. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And anyone who gets a test that has questions, our, our company is very small. We're located in New York. We do everything ourselves um, and we love to hear from people. Um, we're also working on a new uh, release of the app that's going to be uh, a better calibration to get more detailed testing. Because um, as we've learned around the world. Um, at first we thought, oh, under 100, no one's there. Well, it turns out a lot of the world is under 100. So we're working on making wow. that 
precision at the at the higher end. So that's really exciting for people. That's going to come out in the fall, and that'll really um, make it easier for larger organizations to use this as well. That's great. So that's why uh, I think it's in a, just a great uh, tool to identify like the real core source of someone's health is starts in the soil. So I just appreciate your, uh, you guys coming up with it and your time for doing this interview. So uh, um, thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, I appreciate your input. Okay. Have a good day.